May 2018, Hitler's fearsome Wehrmacht is but a thing of memory, while the Imperial Japanese Navy lies wrecked on the shoals of yesteryear. On this date, Brad and Ned, members of the elite 123rd Mountain Podcasting Division, begin their most perilous mission yet, to discuss their top five battles of World War II. Their going will not be easy and will be beset by many a challenge. Ned will say, yeah. A lot and interrupt Brad, while Brad will mispronounce the word auspicious, and many trains of thought will not reach their destination. Nevertheless, our boys persevere to produce hour upon hour of digressive discussion of the global conflagration. Tonight we present to you for your listening delight the first episode in The Long Windiness of War on Brad and Ned's Top 5 Everything. Okay. Squiggly lines coming up. That's the sign that uh, the machine is working. The machine is working. Welcome to the machine. Welcome to the machine. Welcome to another uh, Brad and Ned Top 5. And keeping with the theme of last week, which I haven't actually posted yet, and wasn't even last week. It was like three <laughs> yeah, weeks ago. It was ago. like three weeks ago, because that's just how we roll. We're, we're staying in the realm of, uh, of human conflict, uh, tribulation, and misery, and we're talking... Ta- fun. Yeah, fun. Well, yeah, yeah, summertime conversation. Yeah. Yeah, well, we were thinking, I texted you today and I thought, you know, we're early May, uh, VE Day is upon us, so let's think of... When is it? It's, is that the uh, 8th? May 8th. 8th, yeah. Yeah, May 8th. So let's think of the uh, top five battles of World War Two, According to us. According Not necessarily us, yeah. according to... Not uh, according, but I feel like we should be able to justify it why we feel it is for some reason. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the battles that really touched us. Touched <laughs> the battles that kept Really, you know, made us whole. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah exactly. Really you complete me. It was a real Kursk. Really, a largest tank battle. Yeah. It's like just a potpourri. It's just yeah. so, just so complete. Yeah. Um. All right, man. Well, right. yeah. So here we. So, well, how are you doing today? Beautiful weather out there today. It is. It is nice weather. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It seems I like spend... kind of an odd day to be talking about the, the horrors of the Second World War, but here we are. Yeah, I spent today a lot of today napping. He took a short nap, but I wanted Did to you? nap more. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, let's face it, we're in our napping years. Oh, yeah, I always want to nap, nap more. Yeah, yeah there's, there's like, like I've never do a woken podcast up on yeah. napping. Oh my god, yeah, top five, top five nap, naps. naps. Yeah, <gasps> oh, yeah, because I have never woken up from a nap and said, you know, that was exactly the right amount. I'm done. Yeah, time to get true. on with my day. I've... They say that like there is a point, like like thirty minute nap or twenty minute nap, just gives you what you need and then gets you back out the door. And you don't feel groggy or tired. But that's like that's like up. productivity napping. Like I am napping so I can do more with my day. But I don't nap that way. I nap that way to do less with my day. That's true. Just to yeah. fill up the time. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I am napping so I don't have to speak to my children. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, okay, I'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't take any nap. I took a short one, but not uh, as much as I'd like to. Hopefully tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, Hopefully Sunday. Sunday. Sunday's a, a good nap day. day yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's get cracking. So we've right. already covered it. We're going to do top five-ish yeah. World War II battles, according to us. Yep. Buddy, I want you to run it off with it. Okay, so we were just upstairs watching um, Toronto's continued collapse yeah, in the face of the, uh, the, the, the Cleveland Wehrmacht. Oh, I was hoping and you it, wouldn't mention that. Yeah, and it brought it to mind yeah. a little battle that I think 
it's a good way to start off because it's kind of chronologically uh, okay. the first the first one yeah. in World War Two. Although I actually have one that goes before, but we'll discuss that later on. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Battle of France, the fall of France, the fall no, of France, the fall of France. Uh, yeah, the summer of 1940 or June of 1940. Yeah, May to June. Yeah, May, May to June, June 1940. 1940. Two months. Yeah. Yeah, yeah less than six weeks. Classic. Uh, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant piece of. It really showed through the 1930s. Uh, or even late 1920s when the German military was at least paying lip service to Versailles, yeah. to the Treaty of Versailles, and wasn't rearming. But there was a general staff yeah. uh, that had stayed And that's organically. the thing, right? Yeah. They were just... And so... It, it, that is as much a... Everyone thinks about it as like the superiority of German tanks or the superiority of German airplanes. No. no superiority no. of german organizational yeah, structure absolutely. and knew, logistics so everybody had similar numbers of similar stuff material yeah exactly planes tanks and in fact yeah. i would say the french had far superior tanks they had they, some of their tanks were better yeah. they didn't they didn't have as large an air force but they also had the raf to draw on yeah. so so yeah. those two combined, combined was a larger much air larger. force um you know equivalent numbers in in armor mm -hmm. you know and they were they were certainly like um building up their their defenses faster than than germany was yeah. in in 1940 but the thing is they just didn't know how to use them no no and this is where you see the like that staff planning like the advent of the of the combined arms armored division yeah uh because no one like tanks eh, you know world war one tanks meh, just, yeah yeah, right, right. I love on. those big bundles of sticks they always carried on the back to, <laughs> to, to like cross. drop over <laughs> so they could go yeah. over top. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah armored warfare really was a, a bit of an anomaly. No yeah. one knew like, how do we employ these things, now, and everything they, was very academic. And, and and I mean, like obviously, like the Germans had had good plans, but it was actually like improvising on the part of like Guderian and Rommel yeah, and that Rommel. actually that actually pulled it off. So yeah. it, it wasn't just like the staff planning; it was the quality of uh, of the tactical leadership, yeah, of the, yeah, the, the leadership that they yeah. had, as opposed. Interesting fact, and this is we're sort of drifting off, but it's yeah. a, but it's an interesting comparison. So the average age of like a senior officer in the French military was like a decade older. Yeah, it doesn't than the than the average German. officer in the the German yeah. military. I mean, and the, and it shows in the way that oh yeah, like like France just couldn't react fast enough no. to what to what no. Germany was doing. And I mean, okay, so there's there's the line about cheese eating surrender monkeys and <laughs> yeah. and and like yeah. France France gets a bad rap for falling within six weeks, but quite frankly, there was France some did what any country would do yeah. in that situation because no one was beating Germany in 1940 because no. they had. They had played this through, they had played and this nobody through else well. had. I mean, the key, as I'm sure you appreciate, the key to that battle. I mean, that battle, as much as it, you know, a battle that lasted six weeks or about two yeah. months, was really over in about the first eight days. Okay, so this is this is something we're going to go through. So yeah. let's let's walk through the through the timeline through of this, like well, let's walk through the timeline of of World War Two up till that point yeah. to begin with. So World War Two begins in September 1939. Well, okay. We can just debate when World War Two begins, Check. but let's say but the European World War Two begins European in September nineteen thirty-nine. German invasion of German, Poland. Germany invades Poland, takes over Poland in about about four weeks. About that, about a month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Between between let's say October nineteen thirty-nine and May nineteen forty, 
really nothing happens. So it's the period of the phony war. The Sitzkrieg. The Sitzkrieg, as the Germans call it. Uh, I think it's the drôle de guerre in in French. And and the phony war in English. English. But, like, nothing happens. Like, France actually advances as far as, like, the Ruhr. Into the Saarland. Saarland, yeah. And then they they turn around and move back. And then then move back. So so they're they're doing nothing during this time, except actually building up their military. But they're not taking any, like, decisive action. So a complete aside, if they had actually launched an offense so i mean there had been a deal yeah. finally made with poland after what had happened in in the sudetenland yeah. czechoslovakia and then all of czechoslovakia eventually getting occupied and then austria being rolled into the german empire and even before that the saarland and the rhineland being occupied uh i think britain and france diplomatic that okay poland's the last straw yeah so we will come and defend we after will, after many straws after after, many after straws, austria, austria after you know but there's good reasons i mean there's yeah. reasons for that i mean yeah. this is the generation of politicians that fought world war one I, I, I and, yeah. and would have done anything to avoid and i don't want to come across like like a hawkish sort of, yeah crapping on these people yeah, because i i think there's there's like there was uh good reasons and there was like you know sort of a generous sentiment or something behind behind that yeah. position it was not it was not weakness the way the way we talk about you know munich these days is yeah. like appeasement and it's like hang there, on a second there's like also it's a, very easy to say appeasement when you haven't a, seen the trenches there's also a cagier uh explanation for it that some historians have pointed out was yeah. during the period from 36 forward after yeah. the munich agreement uh, Britain and France went on a rearmament yeah. blitz. Yes, they did. You know, and, and they were and rearming faster, faster than Germany. Faster than Germany. Yeah. Well, Germany had pretty much rearmed by yeah. that stage. But they were trying to catch up uh, quickly. And everyone... There's a lot of historians that say, if you do look at sort of some of the diplomatic notes and commentary, yeah. that Britain was not that stupid. You know, check the Munich Agreement was an opportunity to buy yeah. time until they were ready to fight World War II. Which might be true. But, but it might be true, but it also might have been like if they had, if they had, you know, shown a bit of stiffer spine then, or shown a bit of stiffer spine in like like nineteen thirty nine, immediately so after the invasion. So of that's what Poland. I was going to say. If they had actually, if France, not so much the British expeditionary force. I don't was, think that was going to be wasn't much capable, of a yeah. large army at all. But the French army, which was huge, if it had launched an offensive into Germany in thirty nine. There was no German troops yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. They were they all were in Poland. Yeah. Like, like, they could have almost occupied Germany in the same amount of time it had yeah. taken Germany to occupy Poland. The problem was that the French army of 1940 was a defensive army. Exactly. Their entire, their whole their entire concept, strategy. Except for one point, of, point in their strategy, which we'll get to. To was, sweep up into Belgium. <laughs> exactly. Yes. yes. Yeah. There, there was one decisive, decisive like, proactive, was exactly what Germany wanted them to yes. do. Yes. So yeah. the, the key comes, of course, you have three army groups, army group A, B, and C on the German side. Yeah. One's going to do, uh, it's a sizable attack for sure. In in the Low Country. In the Low yeah. Countries, through Holland and Belgium. Well, it, mainly it, it did Belgium. manage to like conquer the Low Countries. It so, did, yeah. yeah. It was no joke for sure. Then a feigning attack on the Maginot Line in the south. Yeah. But the real attack is yeah. coming through the Ardennes Forest. So, so and, and just to, to give our listeners a sense of how things are set up. Uh, France being the the hexagon as it is described, mm-hmm. so so it, it borders the Low Countries and the English Channel at its northernmost point. Right. Um, on on one of its sides, it it abuts up against Germany uh, to the west, and and along that point where it actually has it shares a border with Germany, they had built obviously the Maginot Line, which yeah. was like 
a, a, a very impressive fortification. Oh, yeah. you like, know, it's, and when, it's pretty darn cool. And there was points, there was a couple of points later on in the campaign... Because as much as we call it the yeah. Battle of France, it was a campaign. Yeah, like it, yeah there were several really battles yeah. within the campaign of the yeah. Battle of France. And um, there was a point later on in the second phase of yeah. the battle, uh, after the British left <laughs> and France yes. was sort of yes. left yeah. by itself to fight in the south, where the army group C in the south did launch an attack on the Maginot Line. And the Maginot Man, Line it worked. Held. It, it held. did exactly. work. And by that time, you have like second tier, third tier... Yeah. Uh, militia manning it and yeah. they actually defended that line quite exactly. well but between those two points between the low countries and the maginot line which borders with with germany is is a forest the ardennes yes where there was no maginot line protecting it in fact the only people protecting it were some of the weakest of the of the french troops because it was so heavily forest and there's the river meuse yeah, running through heavily that forested, and it was uh, just assumed that someone no mountainous to or rugged and yeah, yeah mountainous yeah. but rugged and it was just not anticipated that a modern mechanical army could, could make move it through, through yeah. that forest and at if, that time and in a way they're almost right because yes. this is where your point about the tactical level genius not the operational yeah. or strategic but the tactical level genius of certain german commanders and the sort of uh you know uh initiative yeah. at moments made the difference because in actual fact go there the german line was strung out through the ardennes yeah they and there was a brilliant stroke of moving them through and and it was a, a herculean logistical task to move those assets through but at the end of the day like they were strung out all over yeah. the place and they were ripe for any sort of okay, so so let's yeah. let's carry on the narrative. So so we've 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 gone through Poland has fallen. There's this phony war period stretching up till May 1940, 40. where France or Britain, but pr- primarily France, could have acted and probably taken decisive action, yeah. but didn't because they were rearming. Because quite frankly, kind of like the Raptors in the face of LeBron James, <laughs> they were a little spooked. They yes. they had gone through World War One. It had been like it it had been hell for France. It had been a, been you know a terrifying experience. They, uh, they, they were a smaller population than, than Germany. They didn't have the same belligerent leadership. They didn't have the same rearmament program, although one was going on, but it wasn't sort of like yeah. this ongoing. Like Germany at that point, raison d'etre, was to rearm and conquer and the conquer world. Europe. This, this was not world. for what France was about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They it were was, very defensive yeah. in mindset. Yeah, so, so they had a very defensive mindset. So they didn't take any action during the phony war. May, I'm going to say May 10th, somewhere around there, 1940, Germany activates its basically its its Western Front campaign. It uh, it conquers the Netherlands in seven days. It conquers the uh, Belgium in like another two weeks. Yeah. Belgium actually held out longer than the Netherlands did. Yeah, well, the Netherlands didn't even have much of an army. It had a bit of a gendarmerie. Yeah, uh, not much of a of an army. The Belgians actually did have an army. They, they had actually a quite a large. Yeah, army. quite a yeah. large army. They just couldn't mobilize it quick yeah. enough. It was very much trapped in the previous war mindset of mobilization yeah uh but certain forts held out yeah uh one of the emden fort i think the fort in emden it was called held out for quite some time um but the whole plan then was for for the allies basically the british expeditionary force the bef and the first army the french first army which was their best army. Yes, like exactly. Their most of their best tanks. And this is the one thing. So we were talking about the French 
defensive posture, right? They've, yes. they've got the Maginot line. Everyone's yeah. going to hide behind the Maginot line yeah. is how everyone imagines what yeah. the French strategy was. And for the most part, yeah, it was very defensive. It was slow moving. Yeah. It was wet in doubt, you know, hunker yeah. down and take a defensive position. Except for one point where the general in charge actually at the last minute changed the plan and added this. And I've forgotten his name. I want to say it's Jean, um, Jim, begins with a G. Anyway. Gamelin? Yeah, that's Gamelin. it. Gamelin. Gamelin. Yeah. Adjusted the plan and came up with this hyper-aggressive notion of as soon as the Germans strike, everybody thought the Germans were going to strike through the, uh, the through low countries. countries. Yeah. And to some extent they did, they did, but their main attack came through the Ardennes. Yeah. They were going to rush their best troops, their most mechanized, their most mobile troops up into the Netherlands, take a very aggressive yeah. posture, in part to bolster the... Uh, the, the, Belgians. the Belgians, and, but also and the to Dutch. fight on Belgian soil. Yes, also, yeah, More yeah, if, so, yeah. yeah we, we've heard that argument before. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. So, so that was their genius plan. So, as soon as as soon as the Germans mobilized, invaded the 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 Low Countries, France rushes its best troops out of France and into the Low Countries. And then, what do the Germans do? We carry on with the story. They move in. They they uh, a sweeping attack through the Ardennes. Now again, the Ar the Ardennes offensive or the Ardennes yeah. attack, which is now many people call the first Ardennes offensive, because there was a second Ardennes offensive, as you'll know, in Christmas of nineteen forty four. Oh, is that the Battle of, of the Bulge? Yeah, Bulge. I was yeah. going to ask if that was going to be one of your. Uh, it might be, but okay. probably not, because it just didn't really work out. You're it had so no coy. tactical. You're being very coy. Yeah, being very coy with my yeah. battles. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Army Group B moves through the Ardennes. Uh, they're held up for a while at Sedan. Yep. Uh, but Which, this is the tactical brilliance of the of the German battlefield commanders. Like, you're right. They're young. Yep. They're aggressive. They're very smart. They're very dynamic. They know their business very well. And they're very quick to adjust plans on the fly. They're not wedded to anything which is uh, exactly what the the, the french the french are yeah. yes like and, and all, i mean there is it is true that i think the german doctrine was smarter yes it was uh like they had developed the idea of an armored division which had you know an uh an armored regiment or brigade with you know an infantry brigade and then a combined arm so it could go and fight as whereas the french were like parceling out tanks Amongst infantry companies. Yeah, and, and when they did get their, their their armor together, I think they sort of like arrayed them in a line and sort of used them as mobile artillery. Exactly, as to, yeah. There yeah. was no... They, they hadn't grasped the tactical uh, significance of, of tanks and mechanized yeah. warfare. I mean, and that's fair enough. I mean, neither had the British, neither no. I mean, had any countries. The Soviets hadn't. I mean, in, in every country, there's like there's like one or two guys who was like the tank guy, like Little Heart in England. Yeah, and For uh, France, it was De Gaulle. It was De Gaulle. He yeah. went on to found a very famous airport. So. Yes, exactly. Uh, he was at, he was a brigade commander or a battalion commander in the Battle of France. Me, he might even have been a divisional commander. I'm not. Sure. I'm not sure. I can't yeah. remember. He wasn't that important. He was not that important. Actually, he was strangely unimportant. But he yeah. was very important for just kind of sticking around. Yeah. Which ended up. Which we should, we should being get his to. benefit yeah. at some time. At any rate, this the strike through Sedan ends up being successful due to this sort of tactical, aggressive brilliance of German battle. Interestingly, Sedan yeah. was the decisive battle in the 1871. 1870 war, yeah, yeah. the Prussian, Franco-Prussian war. Yeah. I know, yeah. it's where Napoleon III surrendered. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like, yeah. History, Europe's got and too again, much And again, like, in now. that war, the French were defending on fortifications, and the Germans just marched around them. I know. Which is really what this happened with the, like, in a simplistic way. Yeah. 
the Maginot Line. Simplistic they just is went, how we handle things on this podcast. Very so. much so. Yeah. They just went around the Maginot yeah. Line. <laughs> so now this sweeping cut is now an open country. So now it's moving in through the open uh, country of northern France. And the point is, it's traveling, cutting across France, south of where the British Expeditionary Force and, and the that first that the French best army are moving north. French, yeah. And they're getting cut off. Yeah. They're getting cut off. The French army is being cut off from its supply lines in the south. And the British Expeditionary Force is getting cut off from its port supply lines yeah. in the English Channel. This is a disaster for these two forces. Uh, they need, by the time they figure out what's happening, it's almost too late to do anything to save the battle. It's now time to just save themselves. Yeah. They turn around and retreat and uh, hightail it back. Uh, this is where you have you know, a battle within the battle, the battle of Dunkirk. Now I yeah. would refer that as the evacuation of that Dunkirk. is not a battle. That is a, yeah, it's a battle as much as the French, uh, forces put up a brilliant defensive perimeter around Dunkirk. And also, also Calais where they, and they Calais defended Calais. Too. Yeah. To, to uh, the, the British defended Calais quite a bit to the oh, end did the as British well. Defend Calais? Yeah, Actually, the yeah. British did defend yeah, Calais. Yeah. Churchill often thought the defense of Calais had something to do with the defense of Dunkirk. Because he had ordered the defense of Calais, right. but uh, most yeah. people are thinking like it was just sort of. A they also did counterattack, like so. So there was there was moves Arras. to try to break through. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so the yeah. so that was the British uh, armored first armored division uh, launched a counterattack at Arras. It had a potential of breaking the uh, of actually because this was there were so many points. This is the German attack was on the edge of a needle, like it was or on the edge of a sword. Yeah. It it could have tipped either way. It was a entirely aggressive like Guderian comes out looking like amazing like he disobeyed orders but to, it to could have looked like a disaster but he could have just been like exactly. you know a jackass and many people say everyone talks about like the halt order given to the German forces yeah. at Dunkirk and uh, you know and there's different takes on it they're all probably a bit right like part of it was the sort of political uh, power that Goring had, and he said, "Well, the Luftwaffe can wipe out yeah. uh, the, the evacuation forces and and the fleet. Let me do it. German army doesn't need it." There's that narrative. There's the narrative that that no one that it was just a stupid idea that no one knew why they just made a mistake. There's also a narrative I think that's probably even more accurate, and I think it was after the Battle of Arras, which ended up not being successful, but definitely. Yeah, bloodied the nose. It shook. Of, it shook the it Germans. It shook them, and yeah. I think they realized we are strung out here. Our yeah. supply line runs all the way through back to the yeah. the uh, the uh, the Ardennes. Uh, we are in a great position for. Like, you're also on the verge of. Uh, yeah, you're on the verge of conquering France. You don't necessarily need to. You don't need to, to take to, out the BEF. Exactly, and I think it was this idea. Okay, let's stop consolidate. Uh, resupply, you know, get our reserve forces up, get our logistic base in, and then it's time to move south and, and, and finish it, the like job. Once, it, once they started moving south, I mean, so the the best French units were already broken. Yeah. Uh, there was panic, but, you know, they, they met resistance in France. I'll say the French forces, that second half yeah. uh, of the Battle of France gets very little conversation in English-speaking countries. Exactly, yes. Because after Dunkirk, the British are like, well, you're on your own. And yeah. that is... Now, there's, there was a second BEF that was formed and sent to Brittany, I think, like Cherbourg. And it did contain the 1st Canadian Infantry Division. Yeah. But as soon as it landed, within about four days, they evacuated yeah. and went yeah. home. So I don't think there was any concerted effort. I, 
I will say this much. I think the Churchill was the eternal pragmatist. And I think he looked at this like they're done. Like they're done here. One of the one of the themes through what I'm going to be talking about is yeah. that I don't think Churchill is much of a pragmatist. I don't think Churchill is is a good war leader insofar as he really enjoys war. Yeah, like like he he's given credit for being the guy who saw like the Nazi menace, but he saw like everything as a menace. Like yeah. like it's the it's the old the clock, the, the stopped clock being right right twice, twice a day. He just happened like, to be right. He happened one, to be the guy who period. was always saying war, and yeah. at one point yeah. you really needed. No, war. I do think I think he was a pragmatist. I think he was aggressive, and he was. Uh, he was prone to violence. I think he was, he was definitely prone to violence. He was. And I think yeah. he was prone to being bloodthirsty, which yeah. at that time the British weren't. And the Germans yeah. were. Yeah. The Germans were more than willing to like fight in any way they could to get things done and be violent and aggressive. Okay. We're, we're, we'll weren't. come back to this debate, but let's, let's carry on with the narrative of what sure. happens in France. So after this, I mean, the second phase uh, was, we just articulated, yeah. I think there was some actually brilliant defensive positions put up by the French. Yeah. Some great fighting, which was not by their frontline troops. A lot of these forces weren't mechanized. But this is, again, this is a lot like what happened in World War One, where the Germans come through, you know, incredibly rapidly. Yeah. Make, make amazing uh, gains. And then, you know, like the, the taxi it. cab army comes out Bard of Paris River. Yeah. Yeah. and, and yeah. comes out and stops them. Except in this it case, it just didn't happen. It didn't. Because the didn't German realize. forces are too mechanized. They're too yeah. fast. They're too aggressive. And the I guess French, I guess that's a swing, right? It's gone from from the you know tie goes to the defender to tie goes, goes to, the, to the offensive. Yeah, yeah. and also I, I don't think you can underestimate the contempt we should have for the French leadership at this time. This the is something French we need to leadership. definitely talk about because yeah. it was weak. It was ineffective. There had been so many like and let's the not, let's average say, government was lasting about yeah. eight months in France okay. at this time. But it's not just the poli- the political leadership. It's the the military. The top, it's the military leader. Yeah. In fact, it's the military leadership who are all for surrendering. They so, are. So the Prime Minister Renault. Uh, so they they evacuate Paris. They yeah. declare it an open city, city. which means like you're, we're not going to defend it. Yeah. So you know, please don't flatten it. Yeah. They move down to to Bordeaux, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Renault calls his cabinet together, and he's he's stacked his cabinet which with what he thinks are going to be sort of hawks. Yeah. For defending because they're from the right, so it's a, it's a, it's a it's a broad cabinet. But it's a broad right, party. But the, the right, right is, is very right. <laughs> yeah. Well, because the right sees. For, for so long in France in the 1920s yeah. and 30s, the, the left uh, had been in power and it sort yeah. of gutted. I think there's some truth here. I think there had been this sort of sense that like anything military was was very negative and and, and French uh, military leadership was was sort of... There was definitely a, passive, it was a pacifist theme going through. And there was a bit yeah. of contempt, I think, towards yeah. the French military leadership when they started saying in the early 30s, like, hey, we need to start paying attention to what's happening yeah. in Germany. And the, and, and the political leadership... And this is a narrative that everyone loves to repeat. Yeah. And there is some truth in it, I think, in 1930s France. I think it's accurate. But the, the insult is that leadership, military leadership, that right-wing yeah. military leadership actually looked at Nazi Germany like, yeah, that's what we want. Yeah, exactly. That's what because we want. Because that's going to sweep away the popular front, the exactly. left wing. Meanwhile, the the left were the ones who were... were they were willing to fight. Front. Now, they had kind of shot themselves in the yeah. foot 10 years before, but they were at least willing to yeah. have a fight at this time. Yeah, but it was the popular front that actually initiated the rearmament in Iran, so yeah. it was like 38. Yeah. But so. they didn't do a lot to sort of but shake they, up the military and create like a military doctrinal... The, Culture, the, thing, yeah, the thing is, so 
France's military was a very insular group. Like if you go back yeah, to you know true. before World War One, like the Dreyfus affair, the which is sort of the classic thing. Yeah. Where so in fact Renault, he's having this meeting in Bordeaux with his cabinet, including Wagon, 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 who's who's the starts with a B. But. Yeah, yeah. Who's who's their 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 main general? And he says, okay, so if I order you, you know, like they're 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 going through their options. It's like, well, maybe we should fall back to to North Africa. And, yes. and carry on the fight. And carry on the fight. And, there. and he says to Vagon, you know, uh, would you do that if I ordered you to it? And he said, no. And he's, Renault, the prime minister, says, but your job is to obey. And Vagon says, no, my job is to defend the honor of the French army. Yeah. Like, not the French that is so people, not the French nation. That is contemptuous like this, of this democracy. That, that, that they had created. Like, yeah. they were, they were, they considered themselves their own things separate from society and certainly separate from from the political class, so this this division between the politicians and the there's military. There's the lesson, buddy. Yeah, there's the lesson. Yeah, in a democracy, the military works for the elected officials. Yeah, and it's 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 dangerous when you come it's up with dangerous like a, when you have these people when you have a such cast a of, cast inside the military yeah. that feels like it needs to go in a whole different direction. Yeah. We could have a whole podcast on that because I think that's where I'm not going to say France failed, but like French leadership failed. Yeah. It wasn't in losing. In like the early stages, you know, it wasn't like not predicting the Ardennes, you know, that that move up into the, the Netherlands was a dumb idea. But like nobody, nobody yeah. knew what war was going to be like yeah. back yeah. then. Like well, it yeah. hadn't happened yet. It hadn't happened. And th- this was a war that no one had seen before. Yeah. But yeah. I think it was it was those decisions that made in the cabinet, you know, after they evacuated Paris. If, if France is going to be condemned for anything, and I don't even know that you can condemn them for this, but it was the idea that, no, we're, we're not we're not just going to capitulate. But we're also going to uh, collaborate. Right. It's like that well, when you bring in Pétain, Renault resigns, Vichy Pétain France. comes in, yeah. sets up Vichy France. That, that is, is that is a dark stain on French yeah. history. That yeah. period of time. Um, it, it's interesting because if you look at the, this is definitely off track, and I feel like we're going to have a two three part podcast. Oh my here, god, buddy. this one's going to go on. We man. rarely yeah. got yeah. through. We yeah. really love doing this, don't yeah. we? Maybe we should just do it. This is our format now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this will be a multi-parter just yeah. to prep our people. Uh, we won't make you sit here and listen for two hours. Yeah. Um, if you look at what had happened with uh, some of the other occupied countries uh, during the Second World War, Norway, for instance, where the leadership left. Yeah, like exactly. the leadership was like, yeah, we're going to keep fighting. Thing. Yeah, we're going to we're not done yeah. here. Like there was no French government next there wasn't one. except for General de Gaulle and there a few other guys. Wasn't a government. No, it was, he just was like him yeah. and about five thousand yeah. guys. Yeah, and it, but I Churchill again. I, I still disagree with you. I think Churchill okay. was more wise than than maybe you give him credit because I think Churchill saw in he understood the importance of France. Yeah, of of France as an entity and. You know, and he saw the stain that Vichy France yeah. was, and this idea of we need to give France a reason to exist. We need to give resistance in yeah. France a reason to exist. This guy is all we've got. Yeah, in De Gaulle. Can this lead in to my next battle? And I'm using uh, uh, scare quotes around battle. Sure. Which I am calling every goofy thing the British did, rather than fighting the Germans head on, particularly <laughs> in the. So, so I am talking about the attack on Dakar, the attack on Narvik. Uh, yeah. What is it, Mer al Kabir? Mer al Kabir. Yeah. So let, let's start. Let's start with 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 a few of these. So are these battles that you put in your top five battles. No, I'm talking like as oh, a just whole, things like like 
all well, of, so like, the battle it's of... basically freaking Gallipoli all over again. Yeah, so it's Narvik, like... well, so Narvik and Norway, that battle happened before the Battle of France. Exactly. You so know... rather than, it's like Britain was trying to think of anything they could do. It's like when I'm trying to get my kids to do their homework. <laughs> yeah. They're coming up with everything they can do rather than fighting yeah. their homework, or in this case, so... the Wehrmacht. Head on. I won't totally agree with you in that sense. For number number one, uh, yeah. Norway had immense strategic importance geographically. It was it is April nineteen forty. Yeah, like, but then France again, this is about is, to be conquered in but, two months. I know, but no one, but no one knew up. this. Yeah. no okay. one knew this. Yeah, and everyone could see the the immense strategic both you know a route for for uh, Swedish coal. Yeah, number one, as well as just geographically control over. Uh, a route to the North Atlantic shipping lanes, which was yeah. Britain's lifeline to North yeah. America. Um, Norway had immense strategic importance, and I but think it both probably wasn't a priority it. at that point. Well, it was a priority for the Germans because they it was like they both postured at the same time. But this was the sort I just of think, joke. I think know, France should have been doing other things rather than invading northern uh, Norway. Uh, France or Germany? I think France. Look, Germany can do what it's want. I'm not going to yeah. give. I'm not going to well, give so advice. Well, so France did. I mean, France yeah, did do Germany. like so. No, they uh, didn't really have. They that sent like some mountain yeah. troops there. Uh, uh, Britain put up. You know, well, the Norwegians put up one heck of a good fight, yeah. but were just. I mean, they hadn't fought a war in like 150 I'm years. Think, what was the last time the Norwegians? Yeah, like they had. had like they they seceded small. from. Sweden peacefully, I think, in 1905. They did. Uh, like they have no history of conflict outside of the Middle Ages. Yeah. It just hadn't happened. Yeah. So they had a very small militia, uh, next to no air force, uh, no real navy. They put up quite a scrap, but that was sort of reflected again in their king, who was not apparently immensely popular through the 1930s. He was yeah. actually a king that was sort of forced upon them yeah. uh, by Sweden. Uh, but he ended up being this image of them to rally around because yeah. there was definitely a sense of embarrassment in Norway that they allowed themselves to be to be conquered. Well, it's better than Sweden. Yeah. Who just like, just oh, sort of we're, we're neutral. No, you're not. You're, you're selling collaborating. You're selling coal to the Nazis. Steel to the Nazis. Like, so Norway definitely, yeah. and so a lot of Norwegians did get out uh, to continue fighting along with the leadership. I, but this is the gap yeah. that France doesn't have. But, but I guess, I guess the, and I don't want to just focus on Narvik because there's so many of these goofy little little British operations, yeah. like like the Dam Busters, like you know the the U-boat pens in Saint Nazar, and, and all these like like these Britain, raids. As a, yeah, it's always trying that, to so just these, land in Norway yeah. and open. No, no, sorry, Norway, Normandy, and open a second front. So I think a lot of these things are the byproduct of the fact that the British. Had, did not have the resources yeah, in like exactly. 41, 42. No, no. And they just didn't. They couldn't land yeah. in France. So so we've, we've got Narvik. Mer el-Kabir, I think I'm saying that right, yeah. is an interesting one. Because this is almost immediately after armistice with, with France. Yeah, so this is where, the byproduct of the fall yeah, of France. Where Britain goes in, the, the French or portions of the French, French Navy, Navy are, are, in, are in Algeria. And Britain actually did the same thing to, to Denmark in the Napoleonic Wars. Yeah. Um, they come in and they, they sink the they French sink Navy. In like Yeah, like yeah. 1,300 French so this sailors is, died. So this is uh, what I say about the cutthroatiness of Churchill. I think yeah. at this time he was willing. He saw the reality of, of fascism in Europe and, I, and what this war was going to be like. And this is an example of it. Obviously, there's still a sense of 
pain and, and anger about that to this day in France yeah. that this was done because those but you can't underestimate the strategic value of those of the French fleet. The French fleet was not small. It no, was no. a sizable navy. No. It was twice to three times larger than the surface navy of the German uh, Kriegsmarine. And if it had fallen or had been somehow co-opted to operate with the with the Germans, it, that would have been the end for Britain. And I think Churchill's like, listen, this is contemptuous, yeah, but I we're going to do yeah, it. Yeah, Miracle Beer, I actually kind of understand. I, th- I think politically, like, there was a price they paid, obviously. Yep, both absolutely. In terms of their relation with France. Because then you've got the, the, the raid, the raid, again, scare quotes, on Dakar. Yeah. Which like a few months, few months, maybe a few weeks later, where they actually they actually sent down some free French forces and basically tried to get the the French garrison. Uh, Darlan wasn't that uh, the Admiral Darlan wasn't that? I, I, I could, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah again you 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 he's, outdo me on the details. The leader of the uh, of like the colonial government yeah. in the area, and they go down and unsuccessfully yeah. try to they they land some uh, some fairy swordfish. From, oh yeah. Uh, also, theme running through this any battle. Involving HMS Ark Royal, I think we need to. Okay, whenever, whenever it's involved, we need to. Yeah, we need to that mention the Ark Royal. They land some very with with um, free French um, uh, pilots in them, and they get immediately detained. And yeah, basically, there's a, there's a there's a there's a shootout with the uh, the the French cruisers that are in port there, right. and the the the, the defensive um, coastal fortifications. Yeah, and and they they retreat in the end because it's actually De Gaulle who makes the call. That's like, no, I'm not going to send French guys in. To fight other French guys, yeah. but but so I think like the goofiness of British strategy during World War Two, like the just like the inability to face Germany head on, yeah. has got to be the so Italian th- campaign. Yeah, so I it's think- like this notion that Italy was the soft underbelly which it of was Europe, not. which first of all. It's a long, narrow strip of mountains you- that culminates in the friggin' Alps. I know. Like that's that has not an underbelly. No, no, like flanking abilities. Yeah. And there's mountain mountain ranges that run down the spine yeah, exactly. of the country. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't even they didn't even like do an inch on and like land up in Savoy or no, you know no. Piedmont or something. Well, they, they like, tried with Anzio, well, but it yeah. just ended up not. Let's happening. start at the bottom, and because uh, that's the only fair way to do it. But it's like the same thinking that brought us Gallipoli. Yeah, it's like this notion that you can like somehow game the system of yeah. industrial war, and it's like no. Yeah. You, you just have to produce a lot of people and, that was uh, the, and a lot of material. And that was what and the U.S. wanted to do. But the yeah. U.S. wasn't bringing enough assets to the game until 44 yeah. to land. So Britain was running the strategy, and it was just easier to keep doing something after yeah. North Africa. So landing in Italy makes yeah. this point. We are getting off track here, man. These are supposed to be defined battles, battle of France. No, 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 because because I, I got to admit... Oh, like, so my, now my, your new battle is in here now? No, no, my, my, my battle, I've, I've been... Fast and loose with the uh, with the rules, and okay. my new battle. My battle was goofy things Britain did. Rather oh, that's than your battle. Yeah, yeah, that's rather because I mean it's like the raid on so, Dakar is not a full uh, yeah full well, entry. I mean goofy things. I mean so uh, I don't know. Like I think it's bad strategy. The the invasion of Italy. Yeah. Oh, it knocked it knocked Italy out of the war. Um, is that a big deal? Probably not. I don't no, know I mean they were they were handling Italy pretty handily yeah, down in like Somalia and yeah, uh, Libya, in North yeah. Africa until yeah. the Africa Corps showed up. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like I mean, like Italy couldn't conquer Greece. I mean it, and it didn't take. And the thing is, it took some German troops away from the Eastern Front and some away from the, the future Western Front, but because. But it took but, it took British troops well, away from those fronts as well. Well, because as soon as Germany. Uh, 
you know, turned its mind to the defense of Italy, that is literally what they did. They defended Italy. Yeah. They used an economy of resources and maximized the geographic yeah. terrain in order to like use as as small amount of troops as possible to continuously slowly dictate yeah. the campaign. And you can see by like 1945 because, I mean, the fighting in Italy lasted till the end of the war. Yeah, exactly. They never even, like, it wasn't even like, like they, they were going to burst up through. They never got to Germany It was like a sideline that never even finished. And you see it by the end of the war that, you know, you have these two allied armies fighting up the up the boot of Italy. The British 8th Army and the American 5th Army. And the Americans, by that time, early, like, Sicily, they're in. First invasion of it, like, invasion of Italy, they're in. Anzio, they're in. But after Anzio, they're like, this is stupid. Yeah. And then definitely the fall of Rome. I mean, Rome fell on June 5th, 1944. Yeah. Immediately, you are a second front by the yeah. 6th of June. Of yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, and you see the composition of the, despite being commanded by an American, Mark Clark, you see the composition of the U.S. 5th Army as uh, contains a lot of Italian troops it contains the Brazilian Expeditionary Force. Is that where the Brazilian Expeditionary yeah. Force Sizable yeah. assets, yeah, too. No, yeah, I always it's think, like a core, I, almost. I knew Brazil contributed a lot, but you never like see them on like you know the order of battle for Normandy or anything. You, you so I will, had no idea yeah, where they were. Yeah, in about mid-44 uh, forward to yeah. the end of the war, they were there. Ah. Uh, African-American troops. Yeah. So all of the uh, three divisions of African-American troops, all in Italy, because yeah. that's... The secondary front. Yeah. It's not going to be in the media. We can put African troops. Mm. 442nd Regimental Combat Team made up of Japanese Americans. We're going to stick that yeah. in Italy, too. Yeah. Um, uh, I didn't know that they uh, they created segregated units for Japanese. There so. was one. One oh, okay. regimental combat yeah. team, yeah, of yeah. Japanese Americans. Um, so, you know, by the end of... By the end of the war, there's, you know, like the 10th Mountain Division, which was a mountain warfare unit, a uh, couple other U.S. divisions. But most of the U.S. Uh, um, 5th Army is, like, not American at all. Yeah. It's Brazilian. It's uh, South African. It's got some British troops in it. Yeah. It's got quite a few Italians. Yeah. Uh, and then most of the U.S. troops are actually African-American or, or Japanese. So can I just say one last thing on my battle being the goofy things yeah, Britain goofy did, things rather Britain. than actually fighting the war? Yeah. So I was thinking about this, and, and, and in their credit, and, and I think to uh, to Churchill's credit, because I think this is really where his, his heart lies, and I think this is where like a lot of British politics lies is it was really good public affairs. Like, if you think of, like, like the division of, of responsibilities amongst the three major allies, you know, right. like, like the Soviet Union provided the blood, uh, yeah. America provided the treasure, and basically Britain provided the public affairs, the press. Yeah. Particularly in that, that period where they actually were, like, after the fall of France and before, you know, the, the invasion of, of the Soviet Union and... and Pearl yeah. Harbor, when they really were standing alone and really didn't have the resources to no. do anything. No. All they could do were these these funny little actions yeah. that, that, that made great Same movies in nineteen fifty seven or nineteen sixty two. You know, yeah. and, and and like I mean that was their, their contribution to the war was yeah. that sort of like they were a bridge. Like after after both the Soviet Union and America were involved. Britain could probably have stepped out of World War Two, and yeah, I mean, it would well, have I mean, ended the same. It wouldn't have ended as quickly, no, but it, it would, because but, you can't underestimate the contribution of British military in the Second World War. Period. Yeah. Everywhere from 
you know, Burma. But between the them, the Soviet Union and, and America were You're absolutely beat right. You're yeah. absolutely you're absolutely right. Like, it's it's amazing Germany held on as long as they did. Yeah, it's actually sad. Because they did yeah. it to the detriment of their own nation and their own people. Well, and, and many other people as well. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah. really just the you know, collapse on themselves. And so on that rather abrupt and poorly edited note, we'll say goodbye to our boys for another week as they sit back and enjoy a stick of Beeman's gum and dreams of their best gal, Mary Peggy Beth and Sue Margaret in her long skirt and chunky, chunky shoes. But tune in next week for another episode of Brad and Ned's Top Five Everything. Because the next day the cap went out and drafted a band And now the company jumps when he plays Reveille He's the boogie-woogie bugle bar of Company B